This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Romans chapter 8 and verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creature or creation waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. All of creation is waiting for God's kids to mature, to grow up, to stop being nepios, to move beyond the growth stage where we are just able, not, not yet able to even communicate, not talking. He wants us to become not just technon, born into the family, but we're born into the family with purpose. And He wants us to take hold of that purpose. And that purpose is ultimately to be conformed to the image of Jesus in every way. And in the conforming to the image of Jesus, we become... Hello. <laughs> in the becoming, we become. Say, so in the becoming, I become. See, in the becoming conformed to the image of Jesus, I become, listen, useful in the hand of God. And I don't have to strive for it. I don't have to strive for it. Then I want you to go to Galatians chapter 5. So all of creation is waiting for us to stand up and get counted, guys. All of creation is waiting for us to, to grow up so that we become what God's purpose is for us. It's called destiny. It's called destiny. It is not difficult to, to, to add all of this together. Verse 16 of chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit. Uh, one version of the Greek text on that aspect of walk says this, walk at large with proof of ability. Walking at large, that means walking all over the place, anywhere I am, with proof of ability. Hello. That links very, very directly with all of creation groaning, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. So walk in the Spirit. And then he goes on and says, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So we are to walk in the Spirit, and walking in the Spirit is something that we don't have to strive to do. Walking in the Spirit is very simple, very simple. It means spending time with God in His presence and walking every step of my life, every decision I take, under His guidance and His counsel. Conferring with Him, consulting with Him, listening and knowing what the Word is saying to me. So it's hearing what God is saying, knowing what God is saying and doing it. That's what walking in the Spirit is. Don't look for goosebumps. Don't look for special anointings to come on you to enable you to do this. This is not difficult to do. Our problem is, it's, the, it's so simple, we try and make it difficult. We feel like we have to strive to get into this. There has got to be something, God, that we've got to do. And that is not the case. But then I want you to move across to uh, verse 19 which tells us the works of the flesh. And I'm not going to go into those because we've already covered them. But I want you to see works speaks of effort. 
Okay? It, it means I've got to plan, I've got to plot, I've got to scheme, I've got to connive, I've got to somehow br- put, put effort into this exercise. The works of the flesh. And I want you to know those are not difficult to do. <laughs> Nobody has to teach you these. Okay? But then I want you to move down to verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Now I want you to go across to John chapter 15. You say, are we going to get teaching on love today? Yes, you are. Um, I think it's going to be a little different to what you used to, but let's have a look. John chapter 15, verse 4. Remember we talked about walking in the Spirit? Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And we said that walking in the Spirit is hearing the voice of God, knowing the Word of God, and walking in, cons- in, in, in concert with what He is saying to me, situation by situation. His Word to me tells me how to govern my life, tells me how to conduct myself. His voice to me gives me direction. That's the steps of the righteous being ordered of the Lord. He speaks to us. But we have to set ourselves aside for Him to be able to do that. Now in John chapter 15, verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine. Uh, In actual fact, the Greek brings out this strength. It says, I am the vine, the true. But a difference there. I am the vine, the true. Now we'll... I'm not going to break that down much further, but my father is the husbandman. Verse 2, every branch in me, say every branch in me, that bears not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that that bears fruit, he purges it or he prunes it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word that I have spoken unto you. Look at verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you, and I'm adding it, bear fruit, except you abide in me. That's the understanding there. Verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. The only way that we bear fruit is remaining in him and he in us. Verse 6. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. He is a branch, but just like the husbandman comes in and prunes the vine, so those in me, if he doesn't abide, is cast forth just like a branch snipped from the vine. Why? Because without me, you cannot bear fruit. And if you don't stay in me, then you're not in me and you don't have the potential to bear fruit. 
We're going to deal with it. Take a deep breath. Tell your neighbor it's okay. You're still going to heaven. <laughs> Tell your neighbor it's okay. You're still going to heaven. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Verse 7. If, circle that word, underline it, highlight it, because everything that follows is contingent upon this little word. If, if, if you abide in me and if my words abide in you. We've got two things going for us here. If I abide in Him, and if His words. So I, there is a place I can abide in Him and His word not be abiding in me. There is a place that I can come to where His word is in me, but I'm not abiding in Him. Okay? If, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, then... <laughs> uh, you shall ask what you will and it'll be done for you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. I want you to see herein is my Father glorified. It doesn't say that I bear much fruit. Jesus is talking to disciples. Jesus is talking to followers. Herein is my Father glorified that you, the disciples, bear much fruit. Now he's told us a whole bunch of things concerning fruit bearing. Number one, he's told us it's the Father's will that we bear some fruit. Much. Say much. That means mucho. Buyer, <laughs> plenty, not just little pieces. Okay. Go back to the top of uh, verse 1. I am the vine, the true. Or Jesus is saying, look, I'm the original. Without me there is nothing. This is what it means. I am the vine, the true. I am the original. There is no substitute. Nobody can do. I am responsible. This is what Jesus is saying. I am responsible for everything that you see. It was all created by me. Go, go to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. Have a look at this very quickly. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. Talking about Jesus who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power. Upholding. When He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. But what does it tell us about Jesus? He was upholding all things, all things, all things, the worlds in their orbits, the universe. You, you link that with John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning 
was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was... Without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is His earth name. Before He came to the earth, He was known as the Word. And He created all things. And He upholds all things by the Word of His power. And Jesus is saying, I am the vine, the true. I am the source of life. Not just to this creation that you are looking at now. And He's talking to His disciples. But He's saying to them, and they're not able to handle it just yet, but this is what he's saying to them. There is a new creation which is coming, of which I again determine to be not just the source of life for that new creation, but I will sustain it. Now, he is life. And the moment that I remove myself from that life, I die. Some interesting things about branches. Fruit is always found on the branch, never on the vine. Fruit is found on the branch. And come up here, Cece, you've done this wonderfully. Hasn't she done a great job here? She and her team, yeah. Now, I want you, I want you to watch this. Because you see here, all of us, we, we've got life. But, when I disconnect, don't run away, because you're going to have to reconnect. When I disconnect, I can still have fruit, but no life in it. I can appear to be part of the vine, But something's missing. The leaves are the same color. The fruit appears to be about the same size. But it holds no potential for the future. I can look at this side of the vine and I can say, here is life. And I, it holds the promise of tomorrow. It holds the promise for next season. This is dying. Do it again. Would you just reconnect it for us? Let's get this branch back alive. See? And that's very important that you put that in there because otherwise, I don't know what happens. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. The fruit is found on the branches, never on the vine. The vine produces branches. The branches come out of the vine. The branches need to remain connected to the vine. Their life depends on it. And it's out of that connection to the vine that life springs into the branch 
and the branches able to perform its function. If the branch gets disconnected from the vine, it is useless for the future. Interestingly enough, we have different, we have process taking place all the time. Growth is always process. The branch doesn't start off this big. It starts off as a little shoot. It has the potential to bear fruit, but it's not able yet to bear fruit. It has to mature before it bears fruit. It's a branch, but it's not a fruit-bearing branch yet. It's plugged in, and the life of the vine is flowing into it. Its potential is there, but it has to mature. The fruit on the vine needs to reflect the fact that it is a vine. Can you imagine coming to a vine and finding oranges? Couldn't happen. And yet there are people running around saying they're plugged into the Lord. He's the vine. And they are not reflecting the fruit of the vine. The branch has got to, if it were possible, have the desire to bear much fruit. Not some fruit. The whole purpose for the branch's existence is not to be pruned to give the gardener a job. The whole purpose of the branch is to bear fruit. The pruning process that it sub subjects itself to or is subjected to enables through the wisdom of the husbandman to prune it back in order to produce much fruit. And when we read in John that it's the Father's will that we bear much fruit, it means that He wants to do much pruning. <laughs> I know it's tough, but you can handle it. Come on now. Now, what about non-fruit-bearing branches? We read He removes them from the vine. He removes them from the vine. They're a hindrance to the growth of the vine. If, if, if you are cut off from the vine, you will dry up. Your life will dry. You can look like a branch and you would be a branch because you were a branch. You'll be saying the same things or the right things. You'll be able to quote scripture. But the life has gone from you. And I want you to realize something. The determination to be part of the vine is not made by the husbandman. We determine to be plugged into the vine. That choice is ours. And having made the choice, if we submit ourselves to His pruning process, we will produce fruit. And fruit is an indication of life flowing into the vine. No fruit, no life. 
And if there's no life, you're cut off from the vine. Not that you're going to go to hell. You'll go to heaven, dried up. Come on. You say, that, that, that whole story there about men gather them and cast them into the fire. Why? Because men get warmth from wood that's burning. In other words, you're useful in terms of the kingdom for nothing if you are disjointed from the vine. And that being connected to the vine is a decision that we take. You can sit here Sunday by Sunday and never be connected to the vine. Never show any signs of growth or life. Never show any signs of a willingness to let God work in your life and receive the word and allow changes to come and start walking by faith. You hear it week after week after week after week, but the decision to walk in it is yours. And everybody else can start growing and start manifesting and bringing forth fruit in their lives. And you can stay there looking like you're part of it and yet be cut off from the vine. Let's talk for a moment or two about the fruit aspect. John 15, verse 8. Jesus says, Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. So will you be my disciple. He has an expectation that disciples are going to bear fruit. He's got an expectation that disciples are going to decide to be plugged into the vine. He's got an understanding, an insight, an expectation, a hope that having shared this truth, Holy Spirit is going to bring understanding and they're going to say, I don't want anything else because outside of you, I don't have life. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Have a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, would you? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, please. Remember, we're talking here about this aspect of bearing much fruit. Paul, writing to the Corinthian church, says, <clears throat> You are our epistles. An epistle is a letter. And then he, he amplifies on that thought by saying that we are known and read of all men. Well, let me ask you a question. When people read your life, what do they see? Because Jesus is expecting, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. The disciple is not above his master. His master sets the pace. His master is the one who gives us, uh, uh, who models for them, a role model, how to live this life. So Jesus evidently bore much fruit. He says, now it's my Father's will that you bear fruit, and thereby you will be my disciples. So now we take that, and we run out there, and we try to bear fruit. Paul says, you are our epistles. We've considered you to be good ground. We've planted the word in your life. We are expecting the word to work in your life to the degree that you receive the word. And then you become our epistles, known and read of all men. 
All they got to do is just look at you. They got to look at the way you conduct yourself. They got to look at your look at your attitude of heart. They look at the way you handle the situations of life, and they'll know that you've been with us, and we've been with Him. Are we doing all right? Now, fruit is the result of life. Remove the branch from the vine. The vine is the source of life. Remove the branch from the vine and it cannot bear fruit. Jesus said you cannot bear fruit of yourself. You cannot bear fruit on your own. This bearing fruit is contingent upon our abiding in Him and His Word abiding in us. Say, I'm a fruit bin. Say, I'm a branch. Jesus has expectations of me. Now, I want you to see something. That fruit comes again through that big word that begins with a P. Process. That little branch stays connected to the vine and it grows. It grows through the life that's in the vine. Whilst it's connected, the life of, that's in the vine flows into the branch. And the branch groweth up and becometh. And as it matures, the life that is flowing through it starts producing the manifestation of that life. It starts with a bud. And from a bud, it goes to a blossom. And from a blossom, it becomes fruit. But it is still not ready for consumption. That fruit has to ripen. Bud, blossom, fruit, ripened fruit. Now the people can enjoy it. You see, I start getting some understanding of truth, and I'm starting to get fruit. The buds come. Blossoms come, and now I start getting some insight as to how this is going to work. But you see, there is need for us to spend time. We want to go out and just give it away to people, and you make them sick in the stomach. Fruit's still green. Come on now. You don't have to give anything away. They'll come and pick it. When the fruit's ripe, they'll come and pick it. See, now the interesting thing about it is that uh, we, we, we've got an anomaly here. We've got two kingdoms. The spirit realm is the upside down kingdom. I think it's the right way round kingdom. See, because in the natural, fruit is impossible where there is death. If we cut the branch off from the vine and remove it, it ceases to live. It has no life of itself and therefore cannot bear fruit. But when we get to the spirit realm, things are different. In the spirit realm, death is essential in order for life to be experienced. Let me illustrate it. Jesus had to die in order to bring forth fruit. See? And his dying, believe it or not, was not at Calvary. 
His death took place in Gethsemane. Come on, He's modeling it for us. He's modeling it for us. See, because His death took place at Gethsemane, when He said, not my will but yours be done, He died. He died to Himself. He died to His will. He died to His ambition. He died to, Lord, if it's possible, Father, if it's possible, let this cup be removed from me. But not my will be done, but your will be done. And He was dying to Himself. Calvary was the place at which the physical act was completed, but death actually took place in Gethsemane. Without Gethsemane, there could be no Calvary. Spiritual life, in the spirit life or in the, in, in the realm of the spirit, the death of the individual, the death to my wants, to my ambition, to my desires, to my plans, must first take place if I want life to manifest through me. This is how you bear fruit. You bear fruit by dying. Our biggest problem is we're in the way of what God wants to do. That's why we don't bear the kind of fruit that He's looking for. Have a look at this. Go quickly to Colossians chapter 3. I've got time to do that. I believe I have. Colossians chapter 3. Here's the point that I've just made with you. I said that in the spirit life, the death of the individual must first take place if I want life to manifest. I have got to die. I have to die to what I want to do. The most powerful influence is love. Not sloppy agape. Most Christians really want to experience that because you see this is what this is what makes the christian experience easy the reason that the christian experience is difficult for a lot of people is that we're still alive dead people don't feel anything dead people don't hurt don't, dead people don't get tired Dead people don't have any plans. They don't have any ambition. Come on now. Now have a look at Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. If you then be risen with Christ. That is not talking sweet by and by. That is not talking some golden daybreak when Jesus comes. If you then be risen with Christ. Risen is third dimension living. Death, burial, Come on, death, burial. If you then be risen with Christ, it's third dimension. Body, soul, third dimension. It's where life is. If you then be risen with Christ, if you be, seek those things that are above, where He sits on the right hand of the Father. Set your affection. On the things above, not on the things of the earth. Why? For you are dead. 
<laughs> and your life is hid with God in Christ. Uh, with, with Christ in God. Your life is hid with Christ in God. Look at the next verse. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear. When? Some golden daybreak? No. As a result of you being dead, He now can shine forth. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with Him in glory, in the manifestation of the Father. Come on. And you'll bear fruit. And you didn't strive. All you did was die. <laughs> well, okay, I'm not going to labor that anymore. I mean, if that's not shouting ground, I don't know what is. You just go away and go and meditate on this, you see. Go to Galatians 5.22. Galatians 5.22, would you please? <clears throat> Well, brother, I don't agree with that. We'll go and meditate on it. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, in your Bible, you've probably got a capitalized S there, implying the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That is wrong. I'm going to tell you why it's wrong. It's the fruit of the recreated human spirit. God is love. God doesn't have love. God is life. God doesn't have life. He is that. You and I have it. We have it because He who is it lives in us. So we, uh, we have the life of God living on the inside of us. And we have the love of God shed abroad, Romans 5, 5, in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. When? At the baptism of the Holy Spirit? No, at conversion. When you got born again, He came to live on the inside of you. And because He is love and He is life, you got both of those resident on the inside of you. He doesn't plan to depart. The life is the vine. If we stay plugged into Him but dead, come on, we'll start bearing some fruit. He... Fruit, you are the branches. Yeah, yeah. Li uh, fruit is found on the branches. The fruit of the recreated human spirit. The manifestation that you are recreated. The clear indication known and read of all men that you are born again and alive unto God with God on the inside of you is that you bear fruit. Otherwise, I'm sitting there waiting for the Holy Spirit to bear fruit in my life. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't do it and He's responsible for it, I can say, He chose not to give it to me. Just like the gifts of the Spirit. Do all speak in tongues? Do all do this? Do all? No! So we say, well, the Lord chose not to give it to me. So if I don't have love and the Holy Spirit is supposed to give it to me because it's His, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. If that's the case, and I don't have it, he never gave it to me, like He never gave me the gift of whatever, interpretation or the gift of speaking in diverse kinds of tongues in a public setting, or the gift of wisdom, of, uh, uh, the gift of a word of wisdom, the gift of a word of knowledge. If I don't have those operating, I can say the Holy Spirit chose not to, and I have good ground to. But if we're talking about the, the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, 
And he and I don't have love. He chose not to give that to me. But it's not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit of the recreated human spirit. That is what people look at and they say, what makes them so different? You see, Romans 5.5 5 tells us that we are without excuse because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. And in fact, it says is, which is present continuous from the moment you get born again. It's there all the time being shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit available. What we've got to learn to do is cultivate that fruit and cause that fruit to come up and grow. But that's where we start getting into problems because we start leaning to our own understanding and we try and help God out instead of dying. If you then be risen with Christ, in order to rise, you first got to die. So Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love. Now Jesus said, By this will all men, this is John 13, 34 and 35, By this will all men know that you are my disciples. If you put a 25 foot cross on your building, if you learn your spiritual ABCs, if you attend church regularly, if you make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, if you don't hate the Muslims, then will people know that you might... No, he said nothing like that. He said, by this will all men know that you're my disciples if you have in the body... In the body. Oh, we want to go out there and love the world. You can't love the world till you loved at home. Until that love has been released on the inside of you and you've caused it to grow up and you're able to handle the brother or the sister sitting next to you. The person that is unlovely in your eyes. You've got nothing to give away outside there. Come on, folks. See, I have, this is not tough. This is easy going. I mean, this is, this is easy stuff, this man, you know. If we love one another, God is love. We have love. See, we get it at conversion. He is the vine. We are the branches. And fruit is manifest on the branches. This is a place where the Holy Spirit starts doing some pruning in the house. And this should be the place... First of all, where the love of God is manifest before it's taken out into the world. This is where you learn to do the love of God. But don't get into a works program. What you've got to learn to do, what I've got to learn to do, is we've got to learn to die. The fruit of the Spirit is the direct result of life of Christ flowing in communion and fellowship with the believer. The fruit of the Spirit is the outcome of unbroken and full communion with Him. The reason for failure to bear fruit is a loss of communion with Him. We've gotten unplugged from the vine. And no amount of Christian works and no amount of the exercise of spiritual gifts can ever substitute for a close walk with God. See? And we will find that sustained communion with Jesus in our daily lives produces fruit unconsciously. 
I don't have to strive to do it. So many people are on a works program trying to govern their actions and everything in order to have this fruit manifest and there's no life in that fruit. It's dead works. It's like taking the branch with the fruit on it away from the vine. You don't have to strive to bear fruit. You know, when the time comes in the natural realm, a woman falls pregnant with seed. She conceives and she grows up and becometh. And at nine months, she doesn't have to do anything but let nature have its way. And she will press out a baby. It's like a hen laying an egg. The hen doesn't have to <laughs> to do it. It comes naturally. Come on, folks. Well, we're striving to produce fruit. It just means you're not dead. Dead people don't strive. <laughs> okay. Now, the interesting thing about fruit is that it doesn't come through the laying on of hands. Nor does it come with a special anointing. Nor does it come by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit does not produce fruit. Fruit comes through ongoing, intimate, personal fellowship with God. Now there are a number of words that are translated love in, in, in the New Testament. Uh, eros. This is uh, the love of a husband and a wife for each other. It speaks of a love that is predominantly physical, but not always sexual. It can be holding hands, uh, it can be a hug, it can be a kiss. It's a physical expression of feeling towards each other. Then you've got phileo. This is the highest word for love in secular Greek. It implies a warm, intimate relationship of the body, soul, and spirit between two people. Apart from the physical side of love, phileo gives rise to social graces and common courtesies. You just become a real nice person to the person that you're in love with. Storge is a word whose meaning is extremely limited in secular Greek. And it describes the love between family members, like parents for children and a brother for a sister. That's storge. And then there is agape. Now agape is the highest form of love, and is found so seldom in secular Greek that its meaning and its use really remains unclear. And the reason for that is this, that agape love was born in the heart of Christian circles outside of secular Greek. It was not used accidentally either because it describes a new kind and a new quality of love. Literally, the love of God, or agape, cannot be produced by man outside of God. Outside of God, we are capable of eros, of phileo, of storge. We are not capable of agape. Agape is not a gift. Agape love is a way of life. You see, for example, I can't give you love. I can't give you the love of God. But because of His love, I can give you a manifestation of that love, a visible token. I can demonstrate His love by giving you a gift, a gift of time, 
a gift of uh, an extension of my energies, a gift of a piece of my life, the gift of a listening ear, or the gift of just being with you and enjoying fellowship together when you're in need. I'm adding that because that's the criteria. Now there are two very familiar verses to us. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His, I'm adding something, His all. God so loved that He gave His everything. And the best that He could give to meet our needs is what He gave. He held, and here comes agape love, He held nothing back to meet our needs. Jesus is the expression of God's love for you and me. Now this is, this is what He gave in John 3.16. But in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16, it says this, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us. Now watch this. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. In 1 John 3.16, the verse we've just read, we get the measure of God's love. What we see Him doing reflects His heart for us. He gave. He gave. That's the measure. He gave. He gave. He saw the need and 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 He gave. And He has an expectation of you and of me. That's why John 13, 34, 35, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love, the kind of love that keeps on giving. It sees the need and gives, it sees the need and gives, it sees the need and gives, it sees the need and gives. And it doesn't dig, dig into its pocket only. Because you see, we as, a, as Americans, what we do is we, 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 we've got a great escape called the checkbook. And there are some needs that checkbooks cannot meet. Uh, having a physical presence there when you're discouraged, I, I promise you, a check does not encourage you a whole lot when you're discouraged. Okay? See? If I were to summarize what agape is, agape is love in action. Because agape is not passive. It is empathetic to the needs of other people. It is direct involvement with another person's need. It is immediately identifying myself, I'm empathizing, with someone else's need at the time of that need. That's why we need to hear the voice of the Spirit of God. Because He speaks to us concerning people. He speaks to us concerning their needs. And we may know nothing about it, but we're sensitive. And when that happens, we empathize and we move across. And Lord, what do you want me to do? I want you to go and do this. I want you to spend time there. I want you to do... Lord, I don't have time. Change your agenda. Because God's got an expectation of us. Having modeled for us how to live this, His expectation is, we're going to follow the model. 
Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, God commendeth His love towards us. In that, while we were yet sinners, while we were yet ugly, we were not the righteousness of God in Christ. There was nothing comely about us that He should desire us. But He loves us unconditionally. He doesn't have a look at what we do or don't do. What we look at, uh, how we look, how we present ourselves, how we smell, how educated we are, what the color of our skin is, what our culture is. By the way, in the kingdom of God, there's only one color, and that's blood red. Okay. <laughs> See, in 1 John 3.16, we, that's you and me, ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. He's talking about God's love being shared through us. Let me ask you a question. How sensitive are you to the needs of the people around about you? Because the fruit of the Spirit is love. It is not love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance. Though the other eight are manifestations of that love. There is only one fruit that is spread abroad in your heart. Love. That's why you got plenty of it, Romans 5.5. 5. The love of God has been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. You're just not aware of it. The other eight are all manifestations of that love. But the fruit is love. The fruit is not joy. God is not joy. Come on. In that, it's something separate from love. He is the fulfillment, the absolute perfect joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance. Because that fruit that you and I consider as fruit, love, He is it. Okay. All right, let's, let's, let's press on here. The agape kind of love can only be expressed to people through people in whose hearts God's love has been channeled. Agape is putting ourselves out for other people. Agape is not just affectionate concern for somebody who meets our fancy or whom we find socially acceptable. Nor is it the result of our human endeavors, but it is the result of God's love, the fruit of the Holy Spirit coming to maturity in us. So much in the world today is called love and is totally sentimental, totally physical, and is based on the gratification of the flesh. You know, our culture, we're awash in a culture that is giving us artificial concepts of love. They're not just watch, friends. My Lord, how artificial. Watch Mad About You, how artificial. But that is representative of the mentality of the, what's out in the world. And the world are watching this getting reinforced and modeled for them. I'm not surprised we've got the horrendous sort of statistics divorce-wise that we've got. We've got to reach out and love others, even those who do not like us or don't agree with us. Not because there is any advantage to us in it, nor because people are going to love us back, but because God agapeos them and reaches to them in their need. Agape is active. 
but you're never going to experience it while you're alive. Because when you look at them and you don't like them, when you know they've been talking about you and you want to be away from them, you're still alive. You're not dead. And you never can agape them if you're alive. We will learn to love by doing, and doing comes easily when we commune with Him ongoingly and develop it, and our communion is always fresh and right. Agape loving transcends mere shallow reactionary gestures in response to a kindness done to us. As we open ourselves to this kind of love, flowing in us and through us, we will mature and in direct proportion to our obedience to Him. And I'm posing a question here. When we reach that stage, where we are maturing in direct proportion to our obedience to Him, and that love is flowing through us, could this death to ourselves and its, its consequent life that is manifest not produce a signs and wonders generation. But pastor, nobody's going to walk over me. Nobody's going to walk all over me. Derek, you and Rodney, will you guys come up here a minute, please? Now, I'll tell you what I want you to do. Come up here. Rodney, I, I want you to Put you, putting your feet there. I want you to lie down on that. Can you do that? Okay. Come to the side, Derek. That's it. I give each other room. Give each other room. Just lie, lie the same way. Just lie down there. Pastor, I'm not going to let anybody walk all over me. Is that right? Then I want to tell you, you've got a problem. Because you're never going to be a bridge spanning the gulf Spanning the gulf that separates the need of people from the provision of God. You mean I've got to become, I've got to become something that people can walk over? Yes. Because until you die to yourself, you can't be like Jesus. The marks that Jesus received during His crucifixion contain the footprints of needy millions who have used Him as a bridge into the Father's love. He allowed them to walk over Him again and again and again, and they moved from their need to the provision of God. Until you and I are prepared to allow people to walk over us, we are still alive. And you cannot display the love of God. You mean I've got to be pushed around if need be? It's tougher. But I've got rights. Your right is to die. 
Dead people don't feel anything. Dead people don't have any pride. Dead people don't hold grudges. Dead people don't do all the things that mere men do. And until we reach a stage where we are prepared to be the bridge on which people can walk into the love of God and they may use you again and again and again and if you keep your attitude right, you're still dead. Your attitude gets wrong, you've come to life. God redeemed us so that you and I can serve as bridges from the lives of people and in the lives of people and out of the lives of people into the provision of God. The more they walk over you, the more they're going to realize you're different and only the love of God can enable you to do that. I'm going to put myself out. Here is the need. I'm going to meet it. I'm sensitive. I'm going to meet it. I'm going to change attitudes. And God's got work to do in all of us. Would you agree? So Father, we want to bless you right now for your word. We pray that by your spirit, This fruit that speaks of character, the character of God. This which characterizes you, Lord, you are love. We pray that this will become very real on the inside of us in the days that lie ahead. Oh, in every situation, make us sensitive to the needs of the people round about us, to the needs of the people in the body, but Lord, let us then be prepared to lay down our lives in order that these people may experience the love of God in a way they've never, ever seen it. By your Spirit, cause that which has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, cause it to come to life on the inside of us. In Jesus' name, amen.